1917, Freud wrote an essay, Mourning and Melancholia, which proposes two different kinds of grief. According to Freud, mourning is a healthy response to loss. It is finite in character and accepts substitution. That is, the lost object can be relinquished and eventually replaced. Mourning is healthy because, Freud tells us, we rest assured that after a lapse of time, it will be overcome. Melancholia, on the other hand, is pathological. It is interminable in nature and refuses substitution. That is, the melancholic cannot get over loss. The melancholic is, one might say, psychically stuck. As Freud puts it, in grief, mourning, the world becomes poor and empty. In melancholia, it is the ego itself. Melancholia thus denotes a condition of endless self-impoverishment. Curiously, however, this impoverishment is also nurturing. In fact, Freud describes melancholia as a kind of consumption, an object choice, an attachment of the libido to a particular person had at one time existed. Then, owing to a real slight or disappointment coming from this loved person, the object relationship was shattered. The result was not the normal one of a withdrawal from the libido from this object and a displacement of it onto a new one, but something different. The free libido was withdrawn into the ego to establish an identification of the ego with the abandoned object. Thus, the shadow of the object fell upon the ego. The ego wishes to incorporate this object into itself, and the method by which it would do so in this oral or cannibalistic stage is by devouring it. The melancholic eats the lost object, feeds on it, as it were. Thus, the melancholic ego is formed and fortified by a spectral drama whereby the subject sustains itself through the ghostly emptiness of a lost other. Several aspects of the psychical drama are relevant to the study's interest in American racial dynamics. First, it is this peculiar and uneasy dynamic of retaining a denigrated but sustaining loss that resonates most acutely against the mechanisms of the racial imaginary as they have been fashioned in this country. While psychoanalytic readings of melancholia have been mostly theorized in relation to gender formation, melancholia also presents a particularly apt paradigm for elucidating the activity and components of racialization. Racialization in America may be said to operate through the institutional process of producing a dominant standard white national ideal which is sustained by the exclusion yet retention of racialized others. The national topography of centrality and marginality legitimizes itself by retroactively positing the racial other as always other and lost to the heart of the nation. Legal exclusion naturalizes the more complicated loss of the unassimilable racial other. Second, Freud's notion of this uncomfortable swallowing and its implications for how loss is processed and then secured as exclusion 
lend provocative insights into the nature of the racial other seen as the foreigner within America. In a sense, the racial other is in fact quite assimilated into, or more more accurately, most uneasily digested by American nationality. The history of American national idealism has always been caught in this melancholic bind between incorporation and rejection. If one of the ideals that sustained the American nation since its beginning has been its unique proposition that all men are created equal, then one of America's ongoing national mortifications must be its history of acting otherwise. While all nations have their repressed histories and traumatic atrocities, American melancholia is particularly acute because America is founded on the very ideals of freedom and liberty, whose betrayals have been repeatedly covered over. Even as the economic, material, and philosophical advances of the nation are built on a series of legalized exclusions of African Americans, Jewish Americans, Chinese Americans, Japanese Americans, and so on, and the labor provided by those excluded, it is also a history busily disavowing those repudiations. In his essay, The Two Declarations of American Independence, Michael Rogan suggests that this paradox erupts on the very surface of the Declaration of Independence. The Declaration of Independence, demanding freedom from enslavement to England for a new nation built on slavery, is the core product of that maze alliance in political theory. The Declaration bequeathed a Janus-faced legacy to the new nation, the logic on the one hand that the equality to which white men were naturally born with could be extended to women and slaves, and the foundation on the other of white freedom on black servitude. Melancholia thus describes both an American ideological dilemma and its constitutional practices. Rogan further posits in blackface white noise that racial exclusions, be it chattel slavery, the expropriation of Indian and Mexicans, or the repressive use and exclusion of Chinese and Mexican-American labor, were the conditions of American freedom rather than exceptions to it. It is at those moments when America is most shamefaced and traumatized by its betrayal of its own democratic ideology the genocide of Native Americans, slavery, segregation, immigration discrimination, that it most virulently and melancholically espouses human value and brotherhood. In his notes on the state of Virginia, Thomas Jefferson, for example, meditates on his discomfort about the apparent discrepancy between the Declaration of Independence and the colonial practice of slavery only to console himself by reassuring himself and his readers that the inhumanity of blacks exempted them from considerations such as human rights, freedom, and equality. Blacks were seen as lost to moral and human concerns. Through this consolation of philosophy, which exemplifies his melancholic relationship to blackness, Jefferson disentangles the new republic from the ideological burdens of slavery and at the same time reconciles slavery to the ideology of the new nation. 
Precisely because the American history of exclusion, imperialism, and colonization runs so antithetical to the equally and particularly American narrative of liberty and individualism, cultural memory in America poses a continuously vexing problem. How does the nation go on while remembering those transgressions? How does it sustain the remnants of denigration and disgust created in the name of progress and the formation of an American identity?